Hello, hello! That sounded like a bird call. Hello, hello! <laughs> Welcome to the Word on the Hill podcast. We are the Lanky Guys. My name is Dr. Scott Powell. My name is Father Peter Mazet. And this is the second time we're recording this introduction because <laughs> I actually introduced the podcast correctly and Scott had absolutely no ability to respond correctly. I was a little thrown. I should have let you do it this time. I wasn't trying to steal it. It just no, no, it it, literally, I felt naked without being able to say that. It threw you for a total loop, which is just such a glorious thing on this glorious day. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, man. You look like Weird Al Yankovic today. Dude, I... Like, to a T. I feel like Weird Al Yankovic today. You guys, uh, stop whatever you're doing and do a quick Google image search on Weird Al, and then listen to Father Peter, and now you'll, you will you have a good image in your head for what, uh, Dude, what I was, you need for today. I was talking to somebody about Weird Al just a couple days ago about how he finally just got out under the contract that he had signed in the 80s. Seriously? Oh yeah, yeah. Like and like he made no money like at all. Really? Yeah, because he was under this like ironclad contract that just like sucked all of his money away. So really? I'm no really idea. hoping that we get to hear some some new Yankovic, man. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. So I'm gonna look that up on the news. I, I could be fake news on given the news. that the, the this, just to drum up some excitement <laughs> about Weird Al, you know. Just because <laughs> Yeah, the, the media is so fixated on Weird Al. I'm just so tired of it. <laughs> I mean, oh, the, the bias, the Weird Al bias that we're experiencing <laughs> is just overwhelming. It is. Well, oh. speaking of overwhelming, we are on the 13th Sunday, 14th Sunday of Ordinary Time. Yes, because of course there was no 13th Sunday of Ordinary Time three years ago. Dude, I know, dude. I'm so sorry. I, had to do, I, I, had to I threw you under the, the bus, dude. You did a little bit. That's all right, though. Um, well, I was camping. The liturgical calendar threw me under the bus. It did. In and, fairness. And I mean, but but for three years, it's thrown you under the bus. No, no. Three years ago was the only time that occurred. Oh. It's not something that happens every three years. It, it just that particular year. It was a fluke. Is a fluke. Well, you guys, um, I just uh, am so excited that you're listening today. And uh, I've had a lot of Red Bull. Haven't we all? Haven't we all? Haven't we Our all? First, first reading, reading is coming. from Go Zach. I'm not going to play this. <laughs> You're not going to play this game? No. Zechariah, chapter 9, verses 9 to 10. All right. Our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 145. Verses 1 through 2. 8 through 9. 10 through 11. 13 through 14. And the response itself is number 1. You're number 1. Oh, you're number 1 in my heart. Thank you. Number 1. We're number 1. <laughs> We're, We're number, number 1. one. Okay. Our second reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 9, and then jumping all the way to verse 11 through 13. Followed by the gospel, the good news. This is good news. Evangelion. Evangelion. Um, dude. This is good news. This is good news. Matthew 11, 25 to 30. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, let's just jump in, man. I'm can we, super excited. Are you? I mean, <laughs> either that just, or it's the Red Bull talking. It could be the Red Bull. Can we just get out of the way the fact that these... I, these are difficult readings to put together. <laughs> I, I think we've got something. I've got some ideas, dude. But uh, it didn't come easily, <laughs> dude. I was I was looking today and I was like I was like, how are we gonna do this? I yeah. was like, it's so funny because sometimes like, how do you get into the mysterious and the hidden in things that are so straightforward that you're like, there's nothing mysterious and hidden in these readings. You don't mean this. I these mean readings, these. These are so mysterious. I don't see a serv a, 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 a I don't see an so sometimes there's there's like a connection on at face value. Like, oh, well, they put them together because of this reason. But yeah. what's the deeper reason? 
I don't even see a oh they put them together for this reason. I mean, they, they, I, I see it. I do. I, I think there is something deeper. Raison d'être, or but I don't even know how to first say it gland- in my French. What? The reason for existence. The oh, re- nice. raison d'être. French, I, French is not one of my languages. French is not one of mine either. <laughs> oh, I just, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I Interesting. Just, I, but I have this, this phrase in my mind for think for my dad. Ah, I everything, can see. Everything. My dad uh, has okay. like all the phrases that uh, that are like embedded deep in your soul. You know what I'm saying? The deeply embedded French verses. Yes. We all, <laughs> we all have that experience. Well, Bastille Day is fast approaching, so that's appropriate. Dude, I have to tell you that this last 4th of July, um, I actually sewed some bunting myself. Like... I like got out the sewing machine and I was sewing stripes of red, white, and blue and embroidering stars. Like I will tell you, if you ever have like in your heart, you're like, I'm not sure I'm a patriot, dude. All you have to do is like try to make a flag by hand or like make some bunting. Just like deal in the stars and stripes in fabric and thread, and you're gonna feel patriotic. For everyone who's utterly confused, can you explain in 30 seconds what a bunting is? A bunting is a long strip of cloth that uh, is similar design to the flag, but Mm. then is put into a half circle shape and draped from windows in the front of your house normally and porches and stuff. Looks like one of those little fans that Southern women would... But like on a really large scale. And and it's uh, they also call bunting those little flags that you hang from string. But I don't I I think that that's a a cheap version of bunting. Just a quick insight into friendship and life with Father Peter. I walked into the house today and he's like, dude, you got to check out the bundings I've been working on. Which you just don't get that from anybody else in my life, and I there's always something new. <laughs> there are always. Just, he gave a little uh, a little fervorino at the homily on Sunday before the Fourth of July on the the vexillological grandeur of the stars and stripes, which roll glory, baby. Like this is this is like one I'm of the so best happy flags ever. <laughs> I'm just happy I'm your friend because that doesn't Thanks. happen to everybody. Oh. oh, and the next week, who knows what it's going to be? <laughs> it was zero cumulus clouds a couple weeks ago, and now it's bunting that you've been fashioning. I, I just don't know what it's going to be next week. I'm so, I'm so excited. Uh, Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 9. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the thing about the liturgy that okay. sometimes... Daughter Jerusalem. Not, I'm not frustrated, and it doesn't confuse me, but there's some of these readings, you, you, you read the first reading... And there's an automatic gospel go-to in your head. You know what I mean? You're, I like, you're like, oh, rejoice, Jerusalem. Your king shall come to you humble and riding on an ass on the colt. It's the, uh. the Zechariah has a prophecy about Palm Sunday. Right. Explicitly. But then, of course, we get to the gospel and it has nothing to do with Palm Sunday. And you're like, wait a second. Wait. There's the logical conclusion of where you think the readings could connect. But then it's a totally different set of readings, which is always actually the most exciting for me. Because then you got to be like, okay, so what is going on? So where is the connection? Well, what it's it not is, it's, it's, it's poetry. Like the the whole the whole thing about music and poetry mm. is it's about the space between the notes. Mm. It's about the space between the readings. So you're so you what you're doing is you're saying like, how do I get from A to Q? <laughs> it's not Z. <laughs> It's it's like because because like Z would definitely be Jesus riding on the 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 donkey, but there's yeah, a yeah, whole yeah. lot of steps in between, and so we're saying so what like, what is Q? What is Q? This is you know we have to ask the look for the Q source. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, so that, to speak. Wasn't that funny? That was, was that was a biblical humor. I was waiting for how to how to get there. It's funny that you mentioned that because our our responsorial psalm, which we're not there yet, it is an acrostic though, which means that every it burns your skin. Ah, okay, we'll talk about it. We'll table that for a second. But okay. it is ironic based on what you just said. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. A to Q. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I used to love ADQ. They had the best root beers. <laughs> Oh, PDQ. PDQ. It was the gas station. That's what it was. <laughs> oh, my gosh, right. dude. Pretty, pretty darn quick. So this is the thing. Of, um, oh, we got to get there. Zechariah. Yeah, yeah. He's he's going to banish the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, <laughs> and the warrior's bow shall be banished, and he shall proclaim peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea, from sea to shining sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Maybe that's why they put it in here this week. <laughs> it's because of the 4th that's, of July. Yeah, that's why the readings were chosen. Um, well, this is... So, so, this is, um, I don't really know the context of, <laughs> of Zechariah, and I could really use some help in trying to place this in his schema. Well, I do. Dude, how, the, how ironic how, that you bring that up. I wouldn't call it irony. Yeah, no, it's not, not irony. How I would convenient say convenient. Yeah. All right, Zechariah. Um, oh my gosh, there's a lot we could say about Zechariah. I, I feel like I say that every time I don't exactly know how to head in. <laughs> there's so many things we could say. Zechariah... Um, I don't know. Sometimes I think of Zechariah as as kind of the pinnacle of the prophetic tradition. Um, not that he's the best or the most important necessarily, yeah. but he has this ability to actually draw the whole prophetic tradition in wow. and pull out the. Th- he clearly knows Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all these others, and he's pulling and he's pulling them in. So he's he's but kind of like the great synthesis, in a certain sense. Yeah, I thought that was going to be a joke. Oh but no, you're right. He, no, he's, he he's he he's not diachronic. No, that's exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make it. So, so tell me about how, like so he knows about all of the. Um... Yeah, that's not what I want to talk about though. I, I that's a, that's a, a bit of an aside. Just this, it, it, okay. this is Zachariah. Zachariah's cool, but here's what's going on in Zachariah. Zachariah is a contemporary of um, Haggai. If okay. you remember that prophetic, he's one of the other twelve minor prophets. Um, he's occurring during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, which is a really important time in Israel's history. So here's what's going on. Ezra and Nehemiah, Zechariah, Haggai, all these folks show up. Ezra and Nehemiah is the narrative book telling you kind of the story of what's going on. Um, But basically we're dealing in the time where Israel, remember, went off into exile from Babylon. The Babylonians took them off into exile and slavery, destroyed Jerusalem, obliterated the temple, did all these terrible things. Because of Israel's sin, God allows all this to happen. Um, which the is Babylonians, which is interesting because it isn't does this follow from what we were dealing with two weeks ago about no, the a really. prophecy of being brought into exile by no. the hand of God? No, not really. Okay, not really. We need to know that kind of. I mean, it, it's in the background, but it's not in, the in, background, in an explicit but, way. Yep. Okay. So um, Babylon was was defeated by the Medo Persians politically. Right? Okay. So a guy named Darius the Persian takes over the empire. He's the new <laughs> what? Darius took over the empire. Darius. Here comes Darius. Man. <laughs> but Darius. One of the things he did was allow all of the peoples and the people groups, civilizations, different different people, uh, who Babylon had captured and taken into captivity to go home and to actually begin their life. He, he wanted to be known as this great benevolent king because he his his methodology was the opposite of the Babylonians who thought, you know, people will be will be faithful to us if we terrify them. He thought Fable will be faithful to us if we're actually good to them. Mm. To some degree. So Darius actually pays for the Jewish people to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild it and rebuild the temple and actually start their life again. Not just because he's a great guy, but because he thought, well, if these Jews go back and rebuild the temple, then they'll begin to tithe to the temple because that's what they do. And then we can take a cut off those tithes. Mm. And it's better than having slaves living in our land because then we get a lot of money off of them. So anyway, there's this whole thing. So he allows the Jewish people to go back. They begin to rebuild Jerusalem. They begin to rebuild the temple. But part of the problem that you see in Zechariah is that nobody wants to rebuild the temple. 
And it's this whole sense that they've come back to the land. Everything is in shambles. The whole place has been destroyed. It's been years and decades. Um, Their crops are no good. They can't grow food. They can barely build their own houses. And they're just struggling. And the prophets keep telling them, hey, you guys need to focus and rebuild God's temple. And it's something that nobody wants to do. This is the theme of the book of uh, Haggai as well. Nobody wants to do it because they're like, well, number one, we don't even have our own houses built yet. How can we worry about the temple? We don't have crops. We don't have food. The land is a disaster. Things are just really hard. And you want us to focus on the temple, not to mention the fact that the prophets all said the temple was kind of the, the reason we went into exile in the first place because we misused it and it caused all this trouble. And we know because everyone saw the vision from Ezekiel, God's presence left the temple. He's gone. He took off. He deserted us. He abandoned us. And so I always joke that uh, the, the theology in Zechariah, I always call it the field of dreams theology. And the answer to them is, well, if you build it, he will come. Right. So the answer is that, no, you need to rebuild the temple because we have to show God that we are putting ourselves back in a place where we're prepared to receive him again. Mm. We want you back, God. Mm. And so these uh, Zechariah has all these very kind of confusing visions of all these things that are sort of happening around the world and these future visions of what will happen once the Lord returns. If you build this temple, if you're faithful to him, he will come back and bless you. But you have to show him that you're ready for that. Um, it's actually interesting in the first half of the book, which sets us up for nine chapters, one through eight is the series of visions that Zechariah gets. And I, I was studying those a little bit and, and there is a, a chiastic structure to all the visions that Ezekiel, or that Zechariah has uh, chiastic in the sense what's a chiasm? A chiasm is um, like a literary sandwich where there's these parallel ideas that sandwich together something in the with middle. a central idea. Yeah, exactly. It's so, a hamburger, a hamburger, a sandwich, hamburger. Hamburgers are sandwiches, but I I think that (laughs) they... Technically. I mean, they're in the sandwich section on menus oftentimes. Uh, Really? Yeah. Now, this is a whole different debate. <laughs> okay. Somebody, somebody's getting angry. But the chiastic section. Yeah, so there's these visions of, of what God is doing throughout the world. But it's chiastic in the sense that these visions move from sort of how God is working in the whole world, and they focus in... Um, on Jerusalem itself hmm. and how he's working in Jerusalem. And in the, in the middle of all these visions that Zechariah is giving the people, of all these things that are happening, there's chaos, there's wars, God is moving about, he's doing these things. In the middle of this section of visions, um, you have an image of the temple and you have the high priest and you have the menorah and the lampstand. Whoa, and, I just connected to the gospel, bro. I know, I know. I see, I see where you're going. Well, no, I don't necessarily, but I have okay. some ideas. But what he's trying to show is in the temple, there is peace. In, in the presence of God, even though there is chaos around us and the world is confusing and there's all these different things, in God's presence there is peace and stillness. And so what Zechariah is trying to get them to do is say, no, look, God wants to give you this peace. I know your world is chaotic. I know your crops aren't growing. I know your houses are in shambles. I know your world is in a state of chaos, but we need to put first things first because with God, there is peace and you need to show God and tell him that you are prepared to have him come back to you. And if you do that, then we get to Zechariah's uh, prophecy in chapter nine. Again, the Palm Sunday prophecy that says, lo, your king is going to come to you. You don't have a king right now. They have an administrator, uh, Nehemiah, who's, um, you know, a governor, and he's doing great work. But they, they're like, we don't have a king. We don't have God's presence. We don't have a temple. We don't have anything. 
And he's like, no, your king will come to you. But when he comes, he's going to come in meekness, riding on an ass, on the colt, the foal of an ass. And he's going to banish the chariot from Ephraim. Basically, he's going to take away all war and all strife. All of these things will be banished and there will be dominion with God from sea to shining sea. His presence will abide with you and there will be peace. Like that vision of the lampstand in the middle of the temple. Does that make sense? Yeah. That was a lot of information. That was, that but was a big But the context, download. I think, matters um, a great deal. And, and so the, the, the easy kind of quick segue into the psalm, and I don't want to get us bogged down in the psalm. The thing that I do want to say about the psalm, though, Psalm 145. Yeah, there's not a lot there, but yeah. Well, but, but it, there's not a lot. But if you know what it's doing, then you see it. I will praise your name forever, my God, and my, my King and my God. I will Again, that's praise your name, name forever, I was singing my a different song. King and my God. I was singing the wrong psalm. Yeah, dude. I, mean, I actually remember the tune for this one. I know. Well done. Thank you. Um, so again, this is what Zechariah is trying to convince them to do. Praise God's name forever as king. You're worried about yourselves, which is which is fine. I mean, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, you can't. It's hard to think about anything else if you're not fed, and if you you know if you don't have shelter, it's actually, really hard to think outside of that. I actually uh, just listened to a podcast about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how it talks about that the, it's not actually a hierarchy but a parallelism. Really, and they exist. That a lot of the needs that he was trying to place in a hierarchical situation, it actually. <laughs> exists in a parallel way which is kind of an interesting thing that is interesting yeah there was it was uh, it was a radio lab i think but oh i like radio lab i do too except for when they're totally anti-catholic and faith-based but that's okay oh that's so, sometimes they sometimes they take up issues that they shouldn't be taking up but come that's okay on, radio lab come on chad aburand um but the thing i do want to say about Colerich. this oh that robert Colerich. The thing I want to say about this, though, so yes, this is what Zechariah is trying to convince them to do. But the thing that's cool about Psalm 145 is Psalm 145 is an acrostic psalm, which I mentioned earlier. Which, what's an acrostic? Acrostic means every letter of the or every, every line. verse line yeah. starts with a, a progressive letter saying that God is taking up the fullness of everything from A to Z. From for A us. to Z, yeah, exactly. Alpha or or, or Aleph to Tov in in Hebrew. Um, and what's that saying? In the, in the context of Zechariah, these people who are struggling because their world seems chaotic and they're being told this sort of seemingly distant, far off promise that, no, no, it's going to be cool. God's going to um, come to your aid. It's reminding them, no, that's trustworthy because God is faithful from end to end, from beginning to end, from C to C, from alpha to omega, from A to Z, all of these things God God is faithful, and what the psalm is doing, not just because acrostics are cool literarily, but it's it's a psalm that's really all about abundance. That's kind of the A to Z thing. God is a, a God not just of sufficiency. It's not just, he is going to give us what he needs, but he wants to give us abundance. It's like the, uh, I'm reminded of the, um, the, the multiplication of the loaves and fishes. When the when you know, the, the apostles are, are struggling to feed these people who are listening to Jesus, and he, you know, he doesn't just feed them. He gives them 12 leftover baskets. Mm. It's way too much. It's a, it's an overabundance. And that's, abundance. This, and that's what the psalm is trying to show in its acrostic nature, that God is a God of abundance. It's full totality. He wants to shower you in these ways, which is interesting, again, as you kind of think through salvation history, because, you know, we know the end of the story. They do build a temple. Zerubbabel helps them finally build the temple. Herod, in the time of Jesus, is renovating that temple. We're told in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, when they finally did rebuild that temple, 
the old timers among them actually wept because they're like, this is, this is like nothing compared to the old one. Like, this is cool. I'm glad we rebuilt the temple, but this doesn't even hold a candle to what used to be. And it's this kind of, it's kind of like uh, what the, um, you know, the church has been like since the sixties and the fifties. I mean, like the pizza hut churches. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. There's been a lot of like, yeah. I, I actually JP two for being a saint. He was great, but he really didn't want contempt uh, uh, traditional churches built because he felt that it was um, um, saying that we're antiquated and not in a contemporary expression. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. did so, he really say? Oh that? yeah, yeah. He was he he really worked in the backgrounds for new and inventive ways. But that's also he was an artist, and so right. he had the sense of like, hey, no, let's actually speak to the modern man and let's be creative and let's be creative. Which yeah. I think there's there that's a good principle. Unfortunately, it came at, misuse, the, at yeah. the weirdest time for like yeah. you know the, the cube and the cathedral kind of thing. Right. It's like, it, I mean, you look around and you look at some of the churches of old, and you look and say St. Peter's, and you're like, oh, and then you go to your parish church and you come to St. Tom's, and you're like, St. <laughs> Tom's is pretty. It's got good bones. She's got good bones. She does. I mean, as far as contemporary churches go, I think we're doing all right. You know but, what I'm saying? I mean, we're turned on a 90 degree. You know what I'm saying? I, I once I'm, knew a bishop that said, well, if the diocese loses all of its money, we can sell half the parishes to Pizza Hut and they won't have to make any renovations. <laughs> no, dude. Oh, <laughs> we're not there. Bishop, that's really funny. Yeah. Anyway, okay. but but that's, that's actually kind of a good point, though, because, again, they rebuild this temple. It doesn't hold a candle to the old one. Um no one ever actually sees the presence of God come back to that. I mean, that was the promise, right? If you build the temple, he will come. And everyone's waiting, and they're like, okay, well, when is when is he coming back? So even in the time of Jesus, nobody actually believed, no Jewish person believed that God's presence was in the temple. It was um, this waiting place. And a sacrifice was all offered there. You know, the high priest went in toward the Holy of Holies, um, wasn't really allowed to go in except on the Feast of, of Atonement, the Day of Atonement once a year. But it was this waiting place. Okay, it's there. Your your room is set up. God, please come back to us. So does God ever come back to that temple? Yes, he does. <laughs> How does he come? On a colt riding on the full of an ass. And and what does he say? He Basically, the message is it's not about this building. And he actually pronounces a curse on that building because, and this is really the point of those visions of Zechariah, God's presence cannot be confined to this structure. The structure is important. The building is important. They needed to rebuild the temple. That's what God asked of them because we should give everything back to God and we should make what we have and what we have to give him as beautiful as possible. Right. But God is not confined by those things. Right. It's the visions of Ezekiel when they were all headed into exile in the first place. Ezekiel kept seeing these visions of chariot wheels, basically showing that, no, God's mobile. He can come along. God, just the fact that we lost Jerusalem in the temple doesn't negate God's presence with us, even though that's what everyone thought. God's presence is not confined. It's like a bunch mm. of wheels that are going to travel with us. Which isn't, isn't that, doesn't that uh, hold a very interesting analog in our contemporary age? Yes. Where, where it's, it's like, <laughs> I'm not, sure it does. Let's not raise the bastions and just say, let's go huddle in the church and let the world pass us by. Right. But like, like the, the truth is, is that it's, we're, we're actually called to go out and it's a time of like, of, of profound opening and expression and going to the roots and going out. There's yeah. an evangelical impetus. It's the new springtime. Yeah, but that's the thing. I mean, that, that, that's 100% true because one temptation is just circling the wagons, you know, and, and just hunkering down. But there's another temptation, which is um, just going out. You know, the, 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 
I don't know. I was talking about, it was a different context, but I was talking about just how many people I know that are like, no, you know, the mountains are my cathedral. Like I don't need to go in a church. Like I don't have to be confined in a church for my relationship with God. It's out here. And the beauty of Catholicism is that it is a both, both and. and we should have the most beautiful churches on earth Yep. and then open the doors to them so that we can go out and bring the world back in. And yep. you know, uh, it, it's always a both and because Israel is, Israel is asked to build a temple. God is not confined to that temple. Thank you. It's Mr. Frump in the Iron Lung, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah. But they are still told to build the temple. They do still have to show their faithfulness to that. It, it, but it's just important because it's so easy to err on either side of that. Circle the wagons or forget the wagons altogether and just go off and do whatever we want to. It's always a both and because Jesus really is in that tabernacle across right. the way in the church that I wish was a little more beautiful, but the presence of God is all with all of his glory is manifest inside a church that can be sold to Pizza Hut. And that's not the, our church. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the, that's the awesome thing is that it's like, what, what temple did Jesus choose to come to? The, the secondary one that everybody <laughs> wept yeah. over. Well, and then he cursed it. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I mean, in fairness, I mean, <laughs> yeah. like it's, but, but it's, it's all of the above, you know? Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's just interesting. It's it, it, God is very unpredictable. Okay. So that takes us, speaking of unpredictability of God, that takes us to Romans eight. And I have an interesting thought on this. Okay. I have an interesting thought too, oh, given, given that what we're talking about actually, yeah, because, because like, what is the, what is living in the flesh? It's giving yourself over to the senses. Oh, well, you got to be careful here because Paul, Paul, doggone Paul. Sarks versus. He, he uses Sarks in two different ways. Sarks is the Greek word for flesh. And we have to be careful because most of the time he uses it in the it, negative sense. Is there is right? there kind of a chasm between how he uses the two? There's kind of a, a chasm in the sarks. Is that a pun I'm not getting? Sarcasm. Oh, sarcasm. Sarks chasm. Which is tearing. Well done. Sarcasm actually translated means tearing flesh, but that's okay. Oh, my. Yes. Oh, me. Oh, my. So, so <laughs> yeah. sorry. Sorry that I said it in a way you didn't understand. I don't get things unless I make the joke. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> it's true. Dude, that's... No. You're better about getting No, things. come on. You make these jokes and I never laugh at them. No, you laugh. Well, you don't. <laughs> but that's the thing. So so flesh can have the negative connotation of our sinful, fallen human nature. But it can also just have a neutral uh, connotation because Jesus took on flesh. He didn't take on sin. I mean, he took on the punishment for sin, right? He didn't take on fleshliness. Yes, exactly. But he took on... So uh, that's the thing. Greek is, is a, it's, it's a weak language. You always counter me and say rich. it's a rich language. But one word can mean a lot of things. So sarx is a generic word, and Paul uses it in different ways. So in this sense, he's saying you're not... He says, brothers and sisters, you're not in the flesh. What he's saying is you're not merely in the flesh. You're not, you're not tied to your fallen nature. You are enfleshed, right? Jesus took on flesh. Flesh is good. Bodies, physicality, these are good things. We're not Gnostic. The Gnostics were the people that said, no, we need to transcend things of the body and just ascend, you know, to be beyond all that stuff. No, 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 that, that's good. But we're not trapped in our fallen human nature. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Anyway, that's it's a bit of a side note, but please continue. Did I derail you completely? Yeah, I don't even know what I was Dog thinking. It. I, I ended up listening to you. <laughs> Um, well, I'll say what I have to say, and then you can say what you spark. need to say. So yeah, say Paul's what you saying need to say. you're not in the say flesh. What you're you not. Need to say. You're not. You're not stuck in your in your sinful nature. Rather, on the contrary, you're in the spirit. If only the spirit of God dwells in you, 
what does it mean to dwell in someone? That's what temples are, a place where God dwells, oh. right? This is what the first reading is all about. Oh. Whoever does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to him. So in other words, who doesn't have the Spirit of God is not actually his temple. If the Spirit is the one who raised Jesus from the dead and he temples in you, literally he tabernacles in you, mm. the one who raised Christ from the dead will give your life uh, will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. Consequently, brothers and sisters, we are not debtors to the flesh, the sinful fallen nature. We live to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body and you'll live. He is giving the, you're not tied. Okay, okay. Here, here's the thing that I find interesting. Right after this, in the book of Romans, right after this point, there's that really weird section in Romans in verse 19 and following, where he says, all of creation is groaning out in travail, waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Remember that whole part? Yes. My doctoral dissertation is on that passage. But all of creation is groaning out. So Paul did this weird move where he's talking about us and our relationship with God. I have died to sin because Christ has raised me up. My baptism has allowed me to be a new creation. And then he makes this weird segue into all of creation is actually a part of this. God is not just wanting to redeem me and you and our souls, but he wants to redeem all of the created world, which the way that I'm sort of in my mind tying this back, Zechariah, and Zechariah doesn't know the fruit of what he's preaching yet. And the people don't know exactly where this is all leading. They're just being asked to be faithful. But what they're not seeing is that in their going back to the Holy Land, going back to Jerusalem, rebuilding the temple, they are in a certain sense in their minds locked to that place. But our houses aren't nice here and our crops aren't good and we're building this temple and all these things. And what God is going to show them through their faithfulness is that, no, 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 it's never been just about Jerusalem. It's never been just about the land of Israel. It's been about refashioning all of creation to be the temple that it was always meant to be. This is the image of the garden. The Garden of Eden was this concept that all of creation was God's temple because right. that's where he dwelt. Right. And the part of the reason that Jesus, that God calls them to build a temple, then Jesus pronounces a curse on it and destruction upon it. And then when he's crucified on the cross, the temple veil is ripped in two is to show explicitly that not only is God not confined to that building, but God's faithfulness is not confined to the promised land in Israel. He is set to the work of refashioning all of creation to be his temple because he has come to dwell bodily in human flesh in this place, in this world, so that all of it can be transformed. Does that make sense? Yeah. But I was thinking about the fact that just after this point, Paul moves on to the place creation fits in. And again, Paul is trying to show, look, you didn't see this coming. We didn't know that this is what God had established. Our thoughts and our vision was too small for what God actually was setting about doing. But what God is doing is always going to blow our minds and far exceed any expectations we had. So that's what I think Romans is sort of up to. That's awesome, which I, I don't want to even deal more with it until we get to the uh, gospel. Gospel. Which which leads us into the gospel. Okay. Um Unless you have something more for no, Romans. I don't. I have some thoughts on the gospel, but I know you do too. Well, yeah, I mean, like, dude, I'm just, I'm just and I looking. I derailed and, you last time. And everything that you're talking about is, uh, is super interesting. And if you look at the gospel from Matthew 11 here, it's, it's actually kind of a semi-chiastic expression. Okay. So, what is the chiastic expression? It says. Uh, uh, I give you praise, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have hidden these things from the wise and learns. You've revealed them to the little ones. 
Okay. So we're talking about Revelation. So that's the beginning. And at the end, it says, um, uh, it, it's talking to, it says that no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son wishes to reveal him. Okay. So, so what's, what's, what's happening is that we're talking about, who, okay, the sandwich is, is the, who the revelation is directed towards. Okay. And at the center, at center, it says, yes, father, such has been your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my father. Oh. So at the, at the center of this is this expression now come to me uh, the 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 expression of the yoke at the second part is is a modifier from all of this yep. but there's, there's there's chiastic expression happening right now and what's the center of it it's the relationship of the father and the son so it's who's it's revealed to it's the little ones and then it's and then it's coming back and we're talking to the, this revelation at the core is that um, we have knowledge of the Father and of the Son, which is really at the at the heart. It's the presence of God. It's what we're talking about in Romans. It's what we're talking about. This desire of who who how do you know what do you what if you know if you know the Son, you know God Himself. Oh, what do you know if you know the I got it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. What if you know got the it. Son? Got and it. and if you know the Son, then you get to know the Father, which is which is actually coming to know truly what the heart of the presence is. I think you're 100% correct. But now we got to put some flesh on that. Uh, put on the <laughs> flesh in the good sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so who is this being revealed to? The little ones. So who is the little ones? So did you read the context at all? Because here's another place where I read a little bit of the content. What's around this passage? What's around like, it? Oh. What's around it is John the Baptist in prison. So right before this, a few verses before this, it's that, set, it's that passage where it's the beginning of chapter 11. Remember, John the Baptist is in prison and he hears about the mighty deeds that Jesus is doing and he's healing people and doing all this stuff. And he sends messengers saying to Jesus, basically, are you the, are you the one or should we look for another? Right. Because I'm stuck here in prison. Bro. Like I was your herald cousin. Cause what up? Cause I was your herald. I did all these things. You're freeing everybody else of all their ailments and their iniquities and all this stuff. And did you forget about your cousin who's still sitting in prison here? Like, are you going to be faithful to me as well? So I always take it as kind of this almost sarcastic, like, are you the one to come or should we look for somebody else who will free me from prison? Yeah, which is one great sense of it. And what does Jesus say? Well, he gives back, he sends back this message, this very cryptic message, this passage from Isaiah, Isaiah, right? Mm -hmm. Tell him what you see and hear the dead, uh, the the, the blind have sight, the the, the deaf hear. The lame lame do podcasts. The lame do podcasts. And blessed is he who takes no offense at me, all these things. Basically he's saying, so what is is Jesus doing there? He's uh, saying, I'm in the prophetic, I'm fulfilling the prophetic expression. What is he doing to John? Yes, he did it in the prophetic tradition. He's revealing to the little one. He's revealing to John, who is a little one. Well, what is this little one doing? He's sitting, perishing in a prison cell. And what's Jesus saying? I'm revealing something to you. Oh, oh my little one. Mm. And what I'm actually revealing to you is not just myself, but I'm revealing to you the Father. Because that's where all this culminates. And in between that, he does this whole thing where he's like, woe to you, sire. Woe to you, uh, Tyre and Sidon. Woe to you, blah, 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 because you're, you've rejected me. He goes to this litany of all these places that have rejected him mm. and have said, no, we don't buy what you're having to say. And he says, you know, what's going to happen to that? I mean, there's going to be consequences for your rejection of me. But he says, but... But to those little ones who have had this revealed to them, John is one of the, he embodies 
the little ones like us who've had this revealed to him. But what's John doing? John is patiently, sort of blindly in a certain sense, laboring. He's like those people in the first reading that Zechariah is saying, build the temple. I know you don't see the end of this. I, don't, I know you can't see the fullness of what God is going to do. I know God hasn't seemed to come back to you yet, but labor nonetheless. Put one stone upon another. Which is, labor, which is build. Which is very much, so this is the thing, is that um, it, it, the, the word little one can actually be interpreted as infant. So in mm. a, so uh, it, you can translate it as infant. I mean, it's just saying like little. You, you, you ain't got <laughs> little, nothing. Little. Little. Um, <laughs> but this is the funny thing is, is the, who are the prophets? Who is Zechariah? Little ones. No, those, oh. are, those are the big, big ones. ones. Big ones. Because <laughs> they, they imitate Christ with no knowledge. There's no real revelation of the father or the son to them. They, the, like, the, like mm. they are, they are like having to stretch the entirety of their soul without this direct revelation of who oh. the nature of the father is and what the real nature of the son and the spirit. Mm. And and so in a certain sense, they're the great ones, even the, the major prophets and the minor prophets, they're the great ones. Yeah. The little ones are like these ones who are just fumbling, like, like they kind of, they're, they're struggling, but the revelation comes to them. Yeah. And, and and in fairness, John is a prophet. He's John seen as is, the last of the prophetic tradition. Right. So he's a big one. Yeah. But at this moment, he's a little one. He's a little one. Cause, he's both. Cause he's he's an, both. He's an infant. And that's actually the transition point. And, mm. But what we don't know is that the wise and the learned, he says, Lord, I, you've, you've held this from the wise and the learned and revealed it to the, in, to the infant, wow. to, to the little ones. And so, so it's, it's just, I don't know, I think it's just really profound that... Um, that there's there's this inversion, and what is it for? It's all for presence. It's all for like what is at the center of the temple? What's at the center of your heart? How do you have you enthroned Christ in your heart? It's like because it, it, it's really trying to get at the heart, which is is saying to somebody like John, you can actually experience the presence of God in a prison cell, right? As you labor patiently, not seeing necessarily the end of this. Not knowing, the, not knowing the divine pattern fully. But that's how mobile God's presence is, his ability to tabernacle or temple with us. Mm. He can even dwell in that prison cell. Right. And that's what the eyes of the people in the time of Zechariah were too small to see. Right. But again, their faithfulness, really their faithfulness is what allowed God to bear that fruit in the world. It's it's like um it's like the anti health and wealth gospel like <laughs> is the anti health and wealth it's the uh it's the doom and gloom gospel the doom and gloom gospel well what's cool is that what what happens is Jesus says no the Father will dwell with me even crucifixion even mm. in the most humiliating death even yeah. in even in total shame and he says I am meek and humble of heart yeah. he he's like I'm saying I'm meek I'm I'm meek meek. <laughs> I'm humble, humble. Yeah, which, I mean, think about what that what that says. I mean, what's kind of, again, the complaint of the people after the time of Zechariah? This temple, it's too little. It's too humble. Right. It's too small. God can't use it. I mean, th- this is pathetic. Which, which well, isn't, guess what? Isn't that how we feel sometimes? Well, I mean, you think your church is ugly out there? Guess what? God can use your humble little meek Pizza Hut church to transform the to entirety transform of the, the face of the earth. Entirety of the face of the earth. Well, I mean, there's we, we were we were talking about a saint earlier, the the mm. patron saint of addiction. Yeah, um, uh, I can't a, pronounce his name. He's a Chinese saint, and um, uh, young yeah, young Mark, father, uh, you know, Saint, saint Mark, saint, Jung Jung, Jung. Yeah. I, I can't pronounce it. <laughs> you shouldn't try. I know. Um, <laughs> and uh, and his like, feast day is the, is the ninth. 
feast days in the ninth. He he uh, started um, trying to medicate himself with opium. To, because he had some st- stomach ailments, got yeah. hooked on it, yeah. and and his uh, confessor said, and dude, became addicted. Oh, be- you just said that, and yeah. became addicted. And his confessor said, "Dude, you do- don't keep, keep confessing the same thing until you're re- actually resolved not to do it anymore." Because he so, didn't understand the nature of addiction. The world, the world didn't at this time. Yeah, and so he, uh, so he said, "You don't have enough resolve." And what ends up happening is that he remains uh, going to church outside the sacrament for thirty years. And yeah, praying yeah. for martyrdom because he thought that's the only way that he could get into heaven, and uh, and then he gets martyred, and, <laughs> yeah. and along with his whole family, along with his whole family, and uh, and and if we, the church has declared him a saint, and like there's something so powerful and beautiful about the, the thirty years of faithfulness, knowing I can't receive the sacraments, but, but I'm going to keep showing up every stinking day. And and the the outpouring the, that he doesn't know in his meekness and humility yeah. that he is going to show forth a particular glory of Christ and give hope to the to those who seem hopeless yeah. and who are like I don't know how to get out of this and so yeah. you know it's Saint Mark and he never got out of it I mean that's what's so compelling I mean he did in in his martyrdom but it's not like okay as long as I if I can if I can just fix this sin and root it out of my life, then God can do great things. No, he was still in the midst of, of this addiction when he was martyred. Right. Which is just, there's something so hopeful for the world about that. Like, no, God, the, God can still use him. And that the church can acknowledge the yes. the wildness and the profundity of God's mercy and yeah. grace and love and how it pours out. He can do whatever he wants. Boom. Well... Here comes our Lord riding humble into the, into the center of our lives. Yeah, that wasn't. I thought you were going to say something funny, but that was just profound. So thanks, <laughs> dude. I... <laughs> well, we are riding off. I don't. I've got. Dude, we'll, we'll be riding back into your hearts next week. Yeah. Oh, that was good. Yeah. That was good, dude. The lanky guys on a on a donkey together, <laughs> waving. Oh, oh, that would be great. We should do a photo shoot. I think we should do a photo promotional stuff. Either that or somebody just Photoshop our faces on a couple of people riding a donkey. Please. Will you guys do that for us? For that the, would be awesome. That would be very humble of you to do. <laughs> yes, you it know, would. take take up that yoke. It is easy and light. And a shout out to Claire who brought us chocolate bars and visited us after mass and said hello. Claire you were, from Seattle. Yeah, Seattle. You were totally awesome. Oh, Claire, it was so Be- nice to meet Claire you. Claire Beverage. Beverage? Beverage. That's the most amazing last name I've heard. I, I'm i terrible with names, but she was like, it's a really easy name to remember. Yeah, she was a tall drink of water. Yes, and thank you. Thank you for saying hi and for visiting us. Yep. So, we will be back next week. Uh, see you then. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.